0: Michael, we have officially arrived at our favorite time of year.
1: It's the holiday season here in New York City, which means we will be spending a disproportionate amount of time shopping and socializing.
0: And on the shopping front for the very special people in your lives do not delay take a look at the latest jewelry collections from David Yerman this quintessential New York brand was founded by husband and wife duo David and Sybil a sculptor and painter over 40 years later the David Yerman brand is widely recognized as a symbol of relaxed American luxury jewelry the Yermans work alongside their son Evan Yerman to continue to create collections with the finest craftsmanship and exquisite artistry
1: enjoy all of the collections at davidyerman.com <laughs>
0: happy saturday it's december 10th 2022 and you are listening to morning meeting i'm ashley baker in london
1: and i'm michael haney in new york city
0: and we are two of your editors at Aramel who are just trying to figure out when netflix is going to pay us 100 million dollars to make a documentary about our lives
1: I'm speechless this week, and maybe I need a warm bath after watching the first three episodes of the Archwell production. Ashley, where do you want to begin? I'm speechless. I turn to you. Where should we begin here on this? I have
0: plenty to say, Michael, because just because I'm having 10 people over for dinner tonight does not mean that I was able to get out of watching three hours of this. Not a lot of news there in terms of the revelations. There were some interesting parts of it. I thought the stuff about her father and her family was kind of fascinating. The Harry and Meghan story is still relatively young. They got married in 2018. It's been four years. They've been together since 2016, so that's six years. Now, they've told so much of this story, whether it was through the Oprah interview, through now this Netflix documentary, through his book that's coming out. It's like this fire hose of income generated by this short period of their lives, but they're still young. Is Harry even 40? He has so much runway ahead of him. What's possibly next? Like, they've made this their entire narrative, and I have to say, after watching this, I was already fatigued, with them and now i'm even more tired of them and i just kind of wonder what can possibly next after all of this if there's really nothing left to say after the book i assume that that's the last shoe to drop where do we go from here
1: i agree with you this sort of tag cell line they've been pushing is only we know the truth right and maybe in the final three episodes and we'll get some real truth but Right now, it's I don't see any bombshell truths coming out of here. If anything, it's I feel like someone's cosplaying the season of The Crown for you here that's come along just as The Crown has ended. But I think, the most, for me, the most poignant moment of these first episodes was seeing him talk about Diana, his mother, and you see that little shot where Archie is looking at Diana's photograph and there's your grandma, which is like, wow, that is a family moment. But in terms of real... Stuff that would make me say to someone, you've got to see this. It's a little thin.
0: I just kind of found it boring, which was a little bit of a disappointment because I was really looking forward to it, as you know. Anyway, there's been so much said about it over the last few days that I think we can probably leave it from here. But I just frankly had to get that out of my system. Thank you for indulging me.
1: Unlike the Harry and Meghan documentary, we... Have a fun, riveting show for you today. We've got Linda Wells, our beauty and wellness editor, who will be here to talk about a very hot subject right now, sleep. That's right, sleep. Or, as Linda reveals, sleep is the new sex. We also have Stuart Heritage, who will join us from the UK to tell us about a controversial baroness at the center of a grubby corruption scandal there involving lucrative COVID contracts worth more than $200 million and, strangely, Julia Roberts makes an appearance in this story. And finally, speaking of millions of dollars, Mark Elwood will stop by to tell us about the new trend among the 0.01 percenters, or as these rich people like to be known, they are the trillionaires. So you'll get a full explanation of that. Ashley, I think we should start with the news over in your country with Stu and talking about the Baroness Moan, right?
0: I think her nickname is actually Baroness Bra, but we'll get to that in a minute. Stu Heritage is joining us today to talk about Michelle Moan, a member of the House of Lords, who is engulfed in scandal. Shocking. Stu's a writer at large for Airmail, a longtime journalist here in the UK, and we are very happy to have him here. As always, welcome, Stu Heritage. All right, Stu Heritage, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, it's always a pleasure.
0: Now, Stu, before we get into your wonderful story in the issue, do you care to comment on Harry and Meghan?
2: Oh, of course I do. I've watched the whole thing already. I watched it at eight o'clock this morning at 1.5 speed. So I managed to finish it probably before anyone else in the world because I was that desperate to get the information.
1: <laughs> We're dying to know then. Give us your reactions and impressions.
2: Well, I have a feeling that... It's a six-part series and the three episodes, there were three episodes released this week and there are going to be three episodes released next week. I think all the good stuff's going to happen next week because it was basically three hours of nothing this time.
1: You're so cynical, Stu. Seems like they would want to lead us along. Come on. (laughs) How can you be so cynical about this couple and Netflix? I'm shocked at you.
2: I'll do my best. I'll do my best. There's lots of how they met, lots about how much Prince Harry hates newspapers, Lots and lots of that, almost almost about probably an hour and a half. In- actually, no, it's, it wasn't completely terrible. There's, there's lots of bits in it where they have a historian come on and explain all the evils of British colonialism, which is unexpected. And I'm not entirely sure Prince Harry knows that it's happening because he talks very fondly of the Commonwealth for a lot of it. And then this guy pops up and says it's all how related to the empire and slavery is, which is fascinating. But the actual sort of kissy kissy lovey stuff about how they met is I can take or leave that.
0: Stu, as a member of the British press, a long serving member of the British press, do you care to clap back against Harry and Meghan's assertions that the British press is basically evil at its core?
2: No, not really. I mean, (laughs) I think if anyone's allowed to kind of uh, suspicious of the press, it's probably Prince Harry, who his entire life has been followed by paparazzi and obviously what happened to his mother. So I can kind of see that. But the thing I don't enjoy about all of this is that they don't ever seem to acknowledge that they need the press in order to continue to be this sort of celebrity entity that they are. It's, it's, a, it's a one-way attack. And I feel like if people stop writing about them, they would go away and they wouldn't. everyone would stop caring. So they need us. They need me. <laughs> That's what they need. They need me.
1: It reminds me of an ex-president in America, but I don't know.
2: There might be parallels. I'm sure they'd love that. I'm sure they'd love to be compared. But it's exactly the same impulse, isn't
0: it? Yes, indeed. All right, I think we've devoted enough space in the airwaves to them. Let's move on to a woman named Michelle Moan. Curious name. Stu... You are saying that she is the most controversial member of the House of Lords. Her nickname is Baroness Bra. Who is this woman and why do we care?
2: Michelle Moan is an entrepreneur who grew up in the rough part of Glasgow in Scotland. Her dad was disabled. She had a brother that died very young. She lived in a house that didn't have a bathroom. Really sort of scrapped her way up throughout her childhood. And when she was in her 20s, I believe, she invented a new type of bra. The Ultimo bra, I don't know if you're familiar. It has an inbuilt silicone insert, which apparently at the time was revolutionary. And she made her millions as a bra empresario. However, now that's all by the wayside because that sort of ended terribly a few years ago. Now she is being accused of basically being the most corrupt person in the entire British government, which is a leap. And it's all because of COVID. When COVID hit, there was such a scrabble for PPE in this country that the government was pretty much taking it from anywhere it could get its hands on without the proper checks and... It seems like Michelle Moan, as part of this, very aggressively hectored a lot of the government to buy PPE from this one specific company, this brand new company, which it turns out she has very strong links to. And she profited from it to the tune of 29 million pounds. Plus, the PPE, it turns out, was shoddily made and couldn't be used by the NHS. So it's incredibly corrupt.
1: She's corrupt certainly in terms of taking money. But I'm fascinated by the appearance of Rod Stewart or Rod Stewart adjacent women in this story. That's where my interest sort of really, again, she seems to enjoy taking money, but she also really knows how to sort of work the levers and stick it to people, right?
2: I had completely forgotten about the Rod Stewart incident. Yeah. So she's a very canny saleswoman, Michelle Moan. So part of the publicity blitz for her bra would be instead of employing a traditional bra model to pose in her underwear, she'd pick famous, just famous celebrities to do it and give them contracts. And that way, the pictures would run in all the newspapers and the sales would go. One of her celebrity models that she picked was Penny Lancaster, who is Rod Stewart's wife. But then somewhere during her contract, Michelle Moan fired Penny Lancaster and replaced her with Rod Stewart's ex-wife, which is, as PR moves go, pretty manipulative and it had the desired effect that Rod Stewart kind of hit the roof and called her pretty much every name under the sun, which, again, only helped the bra brand.
1: Yeah, the other thing that helped the bra brand, as you point out, is Julia Roberts seemed to have helped her quite a bit as well, but maybe not. Can you explain that one?
2: Yeah, this is fascinating. Michelle Moon claims that in Erin Brockovich, the movie that Julia Roberts won an Oscar for, her cleavage in that film was obtained via the means of an Ultimo bra. She made lots and lots of noise about it at the time. It's since just... Been completely denied by everyone who works on the film. It was an in house bra. So I don't know where she got this from. I heard that Michelle Mohn said at one point that Julia Roberts, I might be wrong, I think I'm not, but Julia Roberts thanked Ultimo in her Oscar speech, which is a very, very easy thing to disprove because it's online forever. You can just look it up and she absolutely doesn't mention any bras.
1: No, but then David Cameron, when he's prime minister, thanks her by making her a life peer, right? So, I mean, she certainly has used the ultimo to claw her way to these heights in British society, right?
3: Yeah,
2: she's one of those sort of celebrity entrepreneurs that the British government seem to like. There's Alan Sugar, the host of the British version of The Apprentice, for example. He was made a lord. And Michelle Mona appeared on the spin off show of that sometimes, and now she's a lady. But because of all the corruption claims, This week she's taken a leave of absence from the House of Lords, which... Lots of people have pointed out it's just meaningless because she's turned up, I think it's it's something like less than 10% of the time that she could have turned up. One of her nicknames was Lady Layabout. She doesn't seem to use her appearance for anything useful.
0: I just like listening to you guys talk about bras. This is thrilling.
2: It's not at all awkward, is it? I think we're doing really well.
1: Yeah, we're talking about a businesswoman who has engaged in some sketchy behavior and it's a business conversation, Ashley.
2: That's exactly what it is. It's big business.
0: You're only blushing a little bit. (laughs) All right, well... Michael, do you have any other questions for Stu? Is there anything else we can say about Madame Moan, which, by the way, like, it's just one of those names that's too good to make up.
2: We're going through a patch of that, isn't it? That we had Liz Truss, who was apparently into BDSM as a prime minister, and now we've got a very complainy baroness called Michelle Moan. It's like Dickens. It's brilliant.
1: Completely. Yeah. My only question is, what's the next move for her? Any sense of where this will end up with her?
2: It's a very serious accusation to being thrown around. It was HSBC, her bank, that contacted the National Crime Organization because of all the shady amounts of money that was moving around. So criminal charges haven't been ruled out. This week, since I finished writing it, her name was linked to another PPE company that she didn't disclose to the House of Lords. Her reputation definitely won't survive this. Whether she remains in the House of Lords, I don't know. Whether she ends up in prison, even, that's a big unknown. It's something I think we'll just have to wait and see.
0: More to come, Stu. If there's one thing you can rely on the House of Lords for, it's that there will be more scandals imminently.
2: <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Lucky us.
0: Thanks so much, Stu.
1: Well, we're lucky to have you here, Stu. Thank you for making time today.
0: Oh, no, thank you. Thanks, Stu.
1: Take care, Stu. Have a great day.
0: Your Starmer wants to abolish the House of Lords. I say, eh, just keep them there. They give us so much entertainment value.
1: And speaking of entertainment and people with too much money and too much time on their hands, it's a natural transition to bringing Mark Elwood on here now to talk about the 0.01 percenters and their new vacation obsession, which is becoming thrill seekers, or as we call them, Ashley, thrillionaires, right?
0: Who wants to be a thrillionaire? Okay, Mark Elwood, a fabulous journalist who covers as he says froth in all its forms is here to tell us all about it. Mark covers travel for us. He's a wonderful writer on all subject matter and we're happy to have him. Welcome Mark. Okay, Mark Elwood, who wants to be a thrillionaire? It turns out that this is the latest trend in luxury travel that you're seeing. It is no longer enough to be pampered and spoiled. Now you have to be put in some degree of personal danger. Tell us what exactly is going on.
3: I think what is going on is a natural evolution of the travel industry going on and on about how it's all about the experience. And the ultra wealthy don't need a pampering experience when they travel because they have that at home. Now, the one-upmanship is disturb me, derange me, confuse me, test me, push me, and I will pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that for me. All right, we need some examples. So let me tell you, for example, what about someone who wants to be chased by poachers on a conservation ranch in Africa where they want to save the animals but then face danger from the poachers who they've interrupted as they protect the elephants, except everyone around you is an actor and it's a scenario being put on for your excitement. Or what about, you imagine you're a 90, Eighties cold war spy and you're at a restaurant and a woman sidles up to you and talks to you and says is it mr bond and in fact she's an actress as is everyone in that restaurant even the chefs.
0: Mark, have you experienced any of these yourself or have you heard from people? Tell us a little bit about where your reporting took you in the name of this story.
3: (laughs) Look, I wish it would take me to the Wild West town that one of the Koch brothers owns, which is now being teed up to use as a real life Westworld. I talk to a lot of the travel agents that I know, some of whom are very wary of talking. This week I'm at ILTM, which is the big ultra luxury travel market in the world. We're all in can And you find people at the edges of this who are people like based on a true story run by a very elusive British man who lives in the wilds of New Zealand. I know him and he has a website that's even password protected he is stopping you from finding out about him and i talked to him unfortunately i couldn't get him to throw one for me i am hoping to tag along maybe i'll just be one of the actors i can carry someone's back
1: it totally sounds like season three of white lotus the storyline so in your reporting Surely something must have gone wrong somewhere. Rich people with too much time on their hands wanting to sort of create a dangerous situation. Is there anyone who's like, things have gone awry, someone went missing, or everything been so good so far?
3: I've not come across this going wrong, and that's for two reasons, in fact. There's one of the companies which is that specializes in this is called Polaris, and some of the founders of Polaris are special ops veterans. So the people who are doing this really understand true danger. And almost all of these experiences have someone shadowing you all the way along. So almost literally and metaphorically just out of view, someone is right there to step in. And again, some of them aren't about, am I going to get murdered? One one of them was an Avengers-like quest around the world to collect nine stones, which were put together into a box, which then unlocked a surprise. But those people, they were just flying around in a private jet, having puzzles set for them. So there is another niche, which isn't just about scare me out of my wits. It's about creating your own movie. It is real life Westworld. And what do these experiences typically cost, Mark? It depends. Black Tomato, which is a London-based travel firm, that's around 23 grand a person for its Get Lost program, which is a bit more turnkey where you're surprised and dropped in a place where they have set up an experience for you. If you're hiring based on a true story to teach your children about Greek myths by meeting the Minotaur on a beach on a deserted island in Greece, you're looking at a million dollars or more for your summer vacation and then the private jet on top of it. That's the million dollars for the experience.
1: Just want to be clear, it's a million dollars if I want to take my kids to Greece to meet a guy dressed up as the Minotaur on one of the Greek islands. Mm
3: -hmm. That journey that, based on a true story created, was not just the Minotaur. There were other Greek myths that came to life. I think Hercules was there. There were some other things. It wasn't a million bucks just for a guy in an animal suit. But yes, it was a million dollars.
0: Marcus, I was reading your story. What struck me is we have so much chaos and insanity in everyday life. Why do we need to seek that out on holiday? How do you explain
3: that? That's a great question. I think... Part of this is really about one-upmanship, and I think this is the travel version of longevity clinics and ultra-hardcore fasting. There's a little bit of machismo to it. There's a little bit of ego, and it's about conquering these scenarios. So, yes, life may be full of chaos, but in these vacations, there's always a happy ending you always win. In one example, the man and his friends who had a staged kidnapping in the jungle that only he knew was coming, it positioned him to break them free of their captors. And he was the hero of the day. That's when his friends found out it was all a scenario. So I think it's also, wouldn't we love life to be a little like this, where chaos ends in us getting a big gold medal for tackling it all
0: it's a fascinating story and it just i think what i love about the story mark it just really underscores how extreme extreme wealth has become i mean you really see it play out in travel almost more than anywhere else it's like yachts are one thing but this really takes it to a new level
3: Mm -hmm. i think walking around iltm this week i've noticed the offerings the buyouts the jets the ability it's no longer good enough to have a penthouse suite you just take the whole hotel and that is a shift that started only in the last sort of three or four years
1: it also strikes me as part of this is Rich people with too much time on their hand, and the world, as Ashley notes, might be chaotic and unpredictable for the 99% of us, and we want to escape on our vacations, our holidays, but these people, maybe they live in boring, predictable lives and too much time and money on their hands, and then they want to create some danger, but as long as it's carefully scripted.
3: Everything is scripted. And that's the key here. If you're a master of the universe, you control this scenario. So in some ways, it's the dream vacation. You decide what the world will look like, and then you step into it.
0: Well, on that note, Mark, I think Michael and I are going to go step back into our average work day And thank you very much for joining us.
1: <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thanks so much, Mark. Let's take a shopping break with our friends at David Yurman.
1: In the American Luxury House's holiday campaign, the Yurman family invites you to experience the magic of New York City by stepping into the Carlisle Hotel, an Upper East Side landmark. Nestled inside is Bellman's Bar, a famed piano bar beloved by celebrities and locals alike. The elegant ambiance and hand-painted murals made it the perfect setting to showcase David Yurman's sparkling holiday collections.
0: The latest collections are modeled by brand ambassadors Scarlett Johansson and Henry Golding, and there are many beautiful holiday gift ideas.
1: Enjoy all of the collections at davidyerman.com.
0: This sounds like actual hell to me. Like, I don't want anyone jumping out and scaring me. I don't want anyone pretending to be a poacher. Like, this is just nightmarish. Again, like, the rich are different from you and I, Michael.
1: I'm telling you, it's like they've got too much time, too much money. They're just up in these places with no interaction with the real world. You you and I want to escape stress. These people want to create stress. So maybe that's, as I said, maybe it's season three of White Lotus. I don't know, but not so interesting to me.
0: Honestly, when I first read the story, I thought, these people want danger if that's what they're after. Like, let's let them do some humanitarian work in Ukraine. Do your part.
1: There you go. Yeah. Go sort of like lead people out of occupied cities or do something, run some guns to the Ukrainians. But there are plenty of ways you could get an adrenaline hit if you need it.
0: I'm sure it's only a matter of time before one of these fancy tour outfitters comes up with like a Kyiv program. You pay $2 million to deliver supplies to people living in shelters in Kyiv. But it comes with Harry and Meghan level security. So don't worry. There's no real danger.
1: Well, you know what you and I would like as opposed to a getaway like this is a good night's sleep, right? Which is, suddenly become a hot new thing. You see athletes like LeBron James and Tom Brady bragging about they getting eight, nine hours of sleep. And you've worked on this story with Linda Wells this week. Will you tell us about why sleep has suddenly become this kind of status symbol for people?
0: Well, so many scientists now and experts, both real ones and quote unquote experts are coming out and saying that a good night's sleep is the key to health. It's the key to happiness. It's the key to success. And therefore a cottage industry has sprung up or it's actually not just a cottage industry. It's a real big business of not only tools and supplements but also tips and tricks to help you achieve a good night's sleep and this is something i've worked on a fair amount in my personal life in the past six months with varying degrees of success but i do have an aura ring which i really like only because it guilts me into going to bed earlier but it turns out you have been sleeping for eight nine hours a night michael and i gotta tell you it's not solving all my problems i'm sorry to say but linda wells is here to tell us what can help in the quest to have a good night's sleep. Linda was the founding editor of Allure magazine, a role that she held for 25 years, and she is now our beauty and wellness columnist at Aramail and we love her to bits. Welcome Linda. Okay, Linda Wells, the quest for an elusive sleep, something that you've been covering for a very long time. Tell us what you've unearthed at long last.
4: Well, there's always news about sleep and people are obsessed with it. And the problem with obsession is that you can't make sleep happen. So sleep is a new sex right now. And when you, when it becomes a new sex, the immediate next step is performance anxiety. You want to go to bed. You you think that this is going to be the big night. You're going to get a good night's sleep and you lie there and lie there and lie there. And of course, now that sleep is a new sex, it's become this goal and you brag about it. So you wake up the next morning and you say to your partner, how was it for you? It becomes this constant obsession. And I think people are as much into it as, or maybe more so than anything else. So there are a lot of things that are going on. There are all kinds of sleep trackers that we know about, and I think with all respect to Halo and the Oura Ring and the Whoop band, I don't want to wear any of them because I don't want more information to find out how bad I am in bed. So I think that you've got to figure out how much you want to know and how much information you can have and then the different methods to fall asleep. So I explore a lot of that in my column on Saturday.
0: All right, Linda, let's talk about, first of all, how do you sleep? What are your nighttime rituals? Me personally? Yes. If anyone has good sleep etiquette, it's you.
4: Well, it's sleep hygiene and I'm obsessed with it. I've been reporting about it forever. So I take two melatonin gummies an hour before I go to bed. I do not look at my phone. I have it on the bed next to me. I have a weighted blanket. I have put on a fan so that I have a sound. The bedroom is 68 degrees, never warmer, can't stand the heat. And then I put on, usually I put on an audiobook or I put on a podcast or something that's very unexciting. And so one of the podcasts that I've been listening to is called Sleep With Me, and I've been listening to it for years. And it is the most boring, convoluted, nonsensical thing. And I tried to listen to these for the sake of the story while I was sitting up right at my desk, and it's really hard to do. That's my routine.
0: All right. It seems like the call map, among others, has enlisted some interesting actors, singers, what have you, to entertain us in those hours before bed. What's that about?
4: So the Calm app, which is enormously popular, has this thing called Sleep Stories. And they've got Matthew McConaughey and Sean Mendes and Harry Styles and Cynthia Erivo and Rosé from Blackpink and all sorts of people reading Sleep Stories. But they are really boring sleep stories. And the voices are so warm and intimate. They kind of whisper as you're lying there. It almost feels like they're on the pillow next to you and they kind of lull you into these very descriptive tales. I think tale is actually kind of an exaggeration because they really, those stories go nowhere. And they're just, they go on and on. Clouds are always fluffy and the rain is falling gently. And Harry Styles is telling you about going over a brook and standing by a river and by the ocean. They're all over the place in a spaceship. And it really is a way for you to kind of latch onto something to block out that noise in your head. Maybe you guys don't have noise in your head, but we have the voices in your head that haunt you (laughs) while you're trying to fall asleep and replace it with the wonderful tones of Harry Styles. I mean, what's wrong with that? I
0: love it. We know that you're kind of competitive in a really healthy and good way. Do you get competitive
4: about your sleep? (laughs) I don't get competitive about that at all. I don't. I'm going to lose. That's why. I know I'll
1: lose. Do you have any advice for couples who often like they sleep very differently, right? And so if one person can sleep and the other person can't, or one person's hot, the other person, you've got to weight a blanket, which I would love. I know Brooke would be like, not so hot on that. How do we navigate when there's one bed, two people, different sleep needs? What's your advice for that?
4: It's really hard. And I think that there are all these beds that are, I've even heard of people having like a king size bed, but actually it's twins made with separate sheets. So you're not sharing the sheets and sharing the blankets and trying to make it all work out. But there's a new phenomenon called sleep divorces. And it is where a couple agrees, and of course they must agree and have conversations about it, that they will sleep in separate beds and maybe in separate rooms because they're just incompatible in bed. And so they have their intimate moments, whether it's chatting or having sex, and then they go, to their separate rooms, have their nice sleep, wake up, and everyone's happy. I think it's more common than we know. People are sort of ashamed of it and think it's a sign that maybe they aren't having sex or they aren't intimate in any way. And so I think the people are reticent to talk about it, but I think it's more common than we know. There are a lot of couples, one member of the couple is a snorer and that's a real deal breaker or they get a CPAP and a CPAP is really noisy. So all these things can get in the way. But I think if it comes to that, you have to protect your sleep because if you aren't well rested, you will be grouchy and you will not be a good partner in anything else in your life.
0: Now, Linda, I know that sleep is the new sex message received, but what about sex? Is this a bad day for
4: sex? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think that one replaces the other. I just think that a goal to pursue. I think it's pretty funny that this has become, sleep has become the ultimate achievement and it's been such a part of fitness. But then again, we can also fantasize about Harry Styles or Matthew McConaughey or whoever we happen to put on our sleep story in the in bed with us. So I think fantasies are rich and one doesn't replace the other.
0: All right, there's definitely more to talk about in this realm. I have no doubt that we'll be back soon with the next iteration of Sleep Science.
4: There's so much to talk about. And even after I finished reporting it, I got new information that I want to do another story. So hang tight.
0: Thank you so much, Linda.
1: Sleep well. <laughs> Lights out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Michael, how many hours a night on average? I know what time you wake up, but how much sleep do you actually get on any given night?
1: I don't get enough sleep. On average, maybe six. I always run what they call a sleep deficit and then I've got to like get my eight hours on the weekend, but I know that's not healthy. So I need to take Linda's advice and invest in my sleep. How about you?
0: I do. Okay. I mean, most of the time I do try to go to bed by 10 p.m., which I try, but like I'm still grouchy. So what can you do? There's no winning in this game.
1: No, no winning. Well, unless you just retire and then you can sleep all the time. I'll
0: never retire, Michael, ever. All right, well, speaking of things that will not put you to sleep, this is why we're not getting enough for us is we are busy sussing out things to recommend. Michael, do you have anything at all you can suggest for us to pass these dark December days?
1: I do. Last week, I spoke about the brilliant Edward Hopper show Downtown at the Whitney, but this week, I've got a great show of painting Uptown at the Guggenheim. It's the retrospective on Alex Katz. This is a gorgeous, life-affirming show, and it's filled with dazzling work, some of which... Is fresh from the studio as Katz, who recently turned 95, is, believe it or not, still working. Now, if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. His portraits of his wife Ada are not to be missed, I think, as they are especially lovely. And seeing the show at the Guggenheim is also a treat as it unwinds chronologically up the corkscrew gallery so that when you get to the top, you can walk down and decide which works by this remarkable artist are your favorites. If you're like me, It'll be hard to pick just one. It's the Alex Katz retrospective at the Guggenheim. And you, Ashley?
0: Well, count me in, but I'm then forcing you to come over to London because you have to see this play before it closes. I just saw it in the West End. C.P. Taylor's play called Good. It's about a professor coming of age and coming to terms with Nazi Germany. And it's a fascinating look at how uh, a good person, quote unquote, so easily becomes radicalized and becomes in short, a monster. David Tennant plays the protagonist here. His name is Professor Halder, who's a German academic, and he co-stars alongside Elliot Levy, who's incredible as his Jewish best friend named Maurice. It's a really incredible play. I had not seen it before, but the staging and direction by Dominic Cook was really exceptional. And it's still playing here in London at the Harold Pinter Theater. It is called Good, written by C.P. Taylor, in a new production directed by Dominic Cook.
1: Okay. I would love to take you up on that.
0: Okay. And then it, for everyone else at home, I'm sorry. I'm going to recommend it, Michael. Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix. It has kept me riding my Peloton bike for much longer than normal this week.
1: That would be the perfect little squib to run on the poster if it were in the theater. It kept me on my Peloton bike longer than it should this week. Ashley Baker. So airmail, but good.
0: <laughs> I'll take that. It's great. Emma Corrin plays Lady Chatterley. I think they're marvelous. They can do anything. And it's a really great staging of it, frankly. And Lots of sex scenes in the woods. What's not to love? I think we're coming up with a theme for the show this week, sleep and sex.
1: Sleep and sex and people running around the British countryside.
0: Yeah, well, we have that every week. Who are we kidding? Exactly. All right, Michael, my dear, wishing you all a wonderful weekend. The next time you hear us, we will both be live from New York City. And thank you so much for joining us. Michael, will you please read us out?
1: We'd like to give very special thanks to our sponsor for this episode, David Yearman. morning meeting is produced by airplay productions and edited by jesse cannon our co-editors are Graydon carter and alessandra stanley our chief operating officer is bill keenan and our deputy editors are ashley baker chris garrett nathan king julia vitali and ash carter our cmo is emily davis and our music supervisor is randall poster the theme music is the cute monster by the buddy Colette quintet a new edition of airmail is published every saturday so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news which we update every day you can also find us on twitter and instagram at airmail weekly we'll be back here next saturday with another edition of morning meeting in the meantime Be sure to subscribe at Spotify or Apple Music. But most of all, thank you again for joining us.